13. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13. We're going to read down through verse number 23. Jesus is the one speaking here. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I certainly love you, Lord, and I pray for your blessing upon the message today. Lord, I ask that you would guide what I say and how I say it. Help me to stay true to your word. And Lord, may your spirit work on hearts. May you use this to strengthen us and draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing, that you would work on their hearts. Lord, that even this morning they repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, please direct. Help me to speak with clarity. Help my mind to be clear. Lord, may you direct in this, and may you receive all the honor and glory. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. This is the coming to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. This is one sermon that started in Matthew chapter 5 in the first verse. It finishes here in chapter 7. It is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. It's incredible the truths that are being dealt with, that Christ dealt with when he preached this message. He has been demonstrating throughout this, the religion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how a pseudo-Judaism had now been formed, and how dangerous it was. As he is finishing, he hits on the most important conclusion to this message. He teaches now what he finishes with, what I just read, are three of the most common roads to hell. And that's exactly what I'm going to preach on here this morning, the three roads to hell. Understand this, when you are a soul, you simply have a body. That soul that you are, that is who you are, is eternal. It has no end. Our body, this flesh, which has been aging, 
You know, as you can see, we need glasses, our hair is leaving, and, you know, we're getting older. As a result of sin, corruption has set in, and this body will be destroyed. But you are a soul. This body is just a house. Please know this. Your soul is eternal. It does not end. Your soul will either spend eternity with God or apart from God. One or the other. For those, and I'll explain this term later on, for those that the Bible refers to as redeemed. Redeemed is something you buy back. But the Bible refers to those who are redeemed. And for those, the moment that death hits, the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the truth. The very moment a Christian, those who have been truly redeemed, the moment they take their last breath, their soul will enter into the presence of the Lord. Death, by the way, is a Greek, comes from a Greek word. It means separation. The separation refers to in death is the very moment the soul departs the body. That's when you're dead. When your soul leaves your body, the body is now lifeless. I brought this up before in our church. I remember several years ago when I got back here, I was at the, we had one of our members who was, who was going to be with the Lord. And Levi, at the time, who's, he's what, 17 years old now, he was probably about 13 at the time, he was with me in the hospital room and the person had passed. And we were waiting for other family to get there. It was just me and Levi in the room and that was it. And I called Levi up to teach him a lesson. I said, I want you to look now at the difference. I want you to see the body because it's clear. Life is gone. Telling him the soul has left. It's departed. Now you can see that body was just simply a house. That was it. So the souls of the redeemed, the very moment that they die and take their last breath, that soul leaves, it is present with the Lord. There is no soul sleep. That is taught by groups from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is not a book of doctrine. It's a book of a man who is trying to find meaning in life apart from God. Now, however, the souls of the unredeemed, the moment they die, they go to a much different place. Luke chapter 16, many refer to it as a parable. I do not believe it is a parable at all because Christ gives names. In parables, he never gives names. He gives names. So I believe he is referring to an actual event that took place between two people. Christ tells of two men. A rich man, who does not give his name, but it does give the name of the beggar Lazarus. He says, well, why did he give the name of the rich man? Because the rich man is going to find himself in hell the moment he dies. The Bible tells us that for those who do end up in hell, their name is forgotten. So the very moment that a person who is unredeemed, when the soul departs their body, it finds itself in a very real place called hell. 
The Bible describes hell as a place of darkness in Matthew 22. A place of gnashing of teeth in Matthew 13. A place of weeping, Matthew 22. A place of unquenchable fire, Matthew chapter 3. A furnace of fire, Matthew 13. A place of wailing, Matthew 13. An everlasting fire, Matthew 25. A bottomless pit, Revelation chapter 9. A place of no rest, Revelation 14. The Bible has much to say about it. For the Christian... The reality of hell should motivate us to keep ourselves as close to God as possible. We are the ones who have the truth. And there will be so much at you to distract you from what is most important. Hell is real. It is no place any man wants to go. Hell is a place today that is denied by many Christians. As our culture has switched from being based in principle to being based on what is politically correct, one of the things that has affected the church is throwing out the doctrine of hell because people don't want to believe it. You say, well, God will not send me to hell. Listen to me. God is not who you, who you think he is. He is who he says he is. Just because it's politically correct today not to believe in it. Listen, you're believing a lie. It was a very real place created by God himself for the angels that rebelled. Boy, we have so many groups arising today. Teaching that hell doesn't exist. Different cults such as SDA, the LDSs, Jehovah Witnesses. A Gallup poll was done. Basically, they asked a couple of different questions in this poll. They had asked how many people who believe in heaven and hell believe they would go to heaven, and how many that uh, how many believe no, they would actually go to hell. Of those who said yes, I believe that I would go to heaven. Um, what was there? Seventy-seven percent said I have a good or excellent chance at going to heaven. I have a fair chance of going to heaven. Those, when asked, would you go to hell? 79% said no. That's very unlikely that God would send me to hell. Only 6% said, there's a good chance I'm going to go to hell. However, based on what we just read from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, those numbers are opposite. The majority do not end up in the presence of the Lord. Although God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he is clear. Few there be that find it. And as he's concluding, coming to the conclusion, I should say, of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives three of the most common roads that take people straight to hell. The first road is that of following the crowd. The second road is that of following false preaching. The third road is following works, righteousness, A false profession. So let's look at the first road here. 
to start off with. The road following the crowd, verses 13 and 14. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, is the way uh, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. These aren't my words. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who's not willing that any should perish. And he's pleading, he's telling you, few there be that find it. Here he deals with two gates. Two roads coming into these gates. One an easy road, and run a very narrow road. The easy road is the broad one, the one that the majority of the people are on. Multitudes upon multitudes are on this road going in this gate. Each one assuring the other that they're fine. We're okay. Look at all of us on this road. Surely we are okay. We're in the majority. People on the easy road take comfort because of how many people are on the same road with them. Thus thinking everything is fine. The people on this road are distracted. They're distracted by the things of this world and give little attention to spiritual matters. Even when those thoughts do tend to come up about a creator, eternity, they just want to dismiss them out of their mind. They don't want to think on that. They get brainwashed by a television by media, you don't need God. You're okay. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Or they believe the big lie. We just evolved. All this beauty that we see, it just happened from an explosion. Hello? Creation screams of a creator. How anybody can look at the beauty and think this came out of chaos is absurd. To think that nothing, nothing created all this is, is insane. And multitudes upon multitudes are believing just that. Again, if you were to find this watch... If you're walking out and this watch was dropped somewhere on the road, if you picked it up, you would know somebody created it. You would never come to the conclusion that a watch factory exploded and boom, I have a perfectly formed watch. For those that are on this road, life passes day after day, moment after moment. Many times they know, especially at night or when they're alone, those thoughts start to hit. Something's wrong. I'm missing something. It's at that moment you've you, you got to begin to dwell just on that. Tuning out the world and the nonsense. You can see the direction of this world. It's clear for all who want to take their head out of the sand the direction we're headed right now.
Many on this road think, I have my own way worked out between me and God. No, you don't. You too are believing a lie. This is a group that many times is simply amused. What I mean by that is this, is that muse means to think. Amused means don't think. It's literally what it means. No thinking. Everybody else does the thinking for you. They won't take time to give serious thought to what really matters. Eternity. God. Why am I here? How did I get here? Instead of just believing what has been thrown at them over and over and over. And yet when God, the creator himself, nudges your heart and oh, you're missing something. They tend to deny it. To shut out that light that God is trying to get a hold of their heart. Denying that inner feeling, knowing something is missing. How there must be something more to life. Or they're believing the lies of this world. I mean, think about it. You can see the multitudes right now who know something is missing. They'll turn to drugs. They'll turn to alcohol. They turn to perversion. Thinking the answers in that. No, it isn't. You're right. Something is missing. But it's not some perversion in your life. It's not you, oh, actually, maybe I should be the other sex. No. What you're missing in your life is God, the Creator Himself. The broad road, as Christ pointed out, is easily traveled. It's without persecution. Without sacrifice. You can pretty much do what you want on this road. You're your own. You are in the crowd, the majority of people, and that gives you comfort. The end is eternal destruction in hell. The road you want is the road Christ spoke of, the narrow road, the straight road. Those on this road had saw the error of their way. They saw the repercussions of their sin. They recognized there is something more to life. There, there is something wrong with me. I see the sin problem I have. I don't want to lie, but I lie. I don't want to lust, but I lust. I don't want to steal, but I steal. They don't excuse it and blame something else. They look in their own heart and say, listen, I am messed up. I have sinned. When they hear the truth of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of what he did, they run to that. As Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I think of a man who was once on this road that I had met during my years in New Guinea. I, I've referenced him a few times since I've been back, and I truly hope to bring him here. I would love the church to hear his testimony from his own mouth. He's a medical doctor. He came to New Guinea on a humanitarian aid project with Australian Doctors International. I, I can't quite think of the full title of it. And he was an atheist. Grew up, I think, I don't know if I said it, grew up in London. Um, that's where his training was. So he came to be helped, brought his family. He, he thought it would be a good experience for his family. 
And, and he comes to New Guinea, an atheist. <clears throat> the first place he was was on the main island, up in the highlands. When you know it, there's a missionary there of the gospel. And, and he told, we met, the day we met, I heard, where we lived, I was on one of the outermost islands, an island called New Ireland. We had no doctor there. And I had heard we had a doctor come in. And one day, we had an aid station where we were at. It had some nurses, because we, we had malaria was horrible there. And, and so I was up at the aid station visiting, and I saw another white guy. And so we're walking by each other. He stopped me and said, you must be the missionary. I said, you must be the doctor. And both of us said, yes, I am. And he immediately told me that he was a Christian. And he had the English accent. I said, man, that's great. I said, I said, I said, you know, it's not too often that I've met men from Europe that so boldly and immediately claim that they're a Christian. And he said, oh, when I got here, I wasn't. I was an atheist. And then he told me the story, how he was in the highlands. He said, there was a missionary. He said, I thought this guy was nuts. I mean, he lives here. This is now his life. I couldn't believe he's living here with his family. He said, I'm just here for a couple of years and gone. And he said, this is exactly what he told me. He said, the only thing I knew about Christians was what I saw on television. He said, I thought they were all nuts. I thought there was something wrong with them. He said, but I got to know this guy. And this is what he said. He goes, the guy was normal. He said, but he really believed the Bible. He goes, I just assumed the Bible because that's where I was taught. There was no, nothing true in it. But then he began to realize, wait, I've never looked at this for myself. Needless to say, he came to know Christ as his Savior. He was on the broad road with everybody else. But then when he heard truth, he responded. The second road Christ talked about is verse 15 through 20. He said, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ra ravening wolves. He said, You shall know them by their fruits. And then he goes to describe between the tree that brings forth good fruit and evil fruit. And he, and he gives the caution here. This is the second road that leads people to hell. These are not those on the main road, just taking comfort in the multitudes. These are those who have been led astray by false prophets and false teaching. False preaching. See, not only are there two gates, but now we have two types of prophets. Two types of preachers. Those speaking truth and those speaking lies. One is true and one is false. So how do you know which one is right? It's a good question. Christ is laying out the answer in our text. He says, you're going to know them by their fruits. Their fruit here is the teaching that they have. Their fruit here is, it's not just talking about actions. The test of a false prophet is not how charismatic his personality is, not how eloquent he is, not the size of his following. It is his doctrine and his life. In Christ's day, the Pharisees would be in this group, on this road. A road leading to destruction. Outwardly, it looks as if they have the right actions. It looks as if they have the moral life. But their doctrine was rotten. Hearts filled with pride and arrogance. Error came when they added to the word of God. 
That's what happened with that pseudo-Judaism that had formed. They began to add two... It wasn't that they denied the Bible anymore. Here's the question. Many of the cults don't deny the Bible. What they do is, they add to it. They add to it. And many people begin to believe it. Whether that is the Book of Mormon, whether that is H.T. Russell, uh, the, the Watchtower Society, whether that is the writings of Ellen G. White, there's something else they're trusting in. Something else that's been added to the Word of God that leads down a road of destruction. This is a road that those who were seeking something but failed to seek truth in order to find God. This road is traveled by those who choose to follow man instead of God's truth. The standard of truth is given to us in His Word. The most amazing book in the world, comprised of 66 different books, written over a time period of 6,000 years, covering a time frame of 4,000 by the time the book of Revelation. The earth had been in existence 4,000 years when the last uh, 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 epistle in the Word of God was written. Think about that. You had authors from kings to fishermen. All different occupations across... Overwritten, think of this thing, it's written over 1,600 years. I was watching a clip by a man who I don't even know is even converted yet, a man named Jordan Peterson. He was showing, he put up a graph of all the cross-references that are found in the Bible, and he himself admitting, there's no other book like this in the world. How incredible it is. See, the standard to know doctrine is based on this book. It's not what man says. It's not that the church authority is equal to this. It's not that my experience is equal to this. This is the final authority. But many are led astray, refusing to see truth. If you want to find life, you must know truth. The third wrote. Look at these verses here. These are some frightening verses. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day. He's talking about judgment day. Think about this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils. In thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Think what's taking place here. Christ now teaches of this third road. A road that multitudes are working to try and trust in their own works or a false profession. He says this, many in this day of judgment that will come. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. And it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. He's referring to judgment day. And he said, in that day, 
Many, not a few, are going to come to me and say, wait, I don't understand. I'm getting ready to get cast into hell. I don't understand. Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in thy name? I've prophesied in thy name. I've done many wonderful works in the name of Christ. And yet they're all going to hell. Get this. This group here are pastors like me. Deacons. Sunday school teachers. People in church. Thinking everything's okay. I've got this. I have nothing to worry about. When in truth, their own mouth condemns them. They never understood what Christ did for them on the cross. Here they are in judgment day, standing before the Lord. And what they're trying to proclaim is, wait, I don't understand. I should be okay. I mean, I should be saved from hell because I went to church. I should be saved from hell because I was a pastor. I should be saved from hell because of all the works I did in your name. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. One of the greatest lies the devil uses is getting you to think that if you'll just be good and if you'll attend church, that when you die, you're going to be okay. Salvation is not in church. We're going to do a baptismal service. Do you think that city water of anchors is going to clean your sin? It is not. Is baptism important? Very important. But it doesn't save you. Is being in church and a member of a church important? It is. And it's right. But it doesn't save you. But multitudes think because of what they do, because they're simply in church, because they're active in church. They trust in that. That is what their faith is in. It's not that they deny Christ. It's they put their faith in what they're doing. Think of what Christ told them. Again, their own mouth condemned them. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied thy name? In thy name cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now get this. This is important. I never knew you. By the way, that is a clear verse in the Bible, which is taught throughout. And and I, I wish I had time to go into that this morning, but I don't. That one could never, once a person is truly born again, converted, a child of God, that can never be changed. Never, ever, ever. As Christ said, I never knew you. He didn't say I knew you at one point. Never. These are the multitudes of people, like Christ said, there's many of them that thought salvation was theirs. But they're trusting in their works, they're trusting in their righteousness. This is where... Many people today fall. It's kind of like Paul said, Romans chapter 10 in verse 2, speaking of his own nation, Israel. He said they have a zeal for God. A zeal. But he knew they were trusting, as he goes on to say, their own righteousness. It's not the zeal for God. It has to be based in truth. Christ is laying out three clear roads. There's one road, the multitude. They're just taking cover because it's the road the majority of the world is on. We don't got to worry about this. Let's just make money. Let's just live for pleasure. Don't worry about spiritual matters. You don't have to worry about that. They forget that they are a soul. They will leave this earth so fast. 
They are in no way prepared for eternity. And then those who begin speaking something, but it's not simply in truth. And they fall prey to the false prophets. And then here, another way the devil comes in. Even those that can get in church, they put their faith not in Christ alone, but the fact that they go to church. The fact that they do good works. The fact that they preach or teach. If you're trusting in any of that, listen to me, you're going to be in this group, and the moment you die, you're going to be, why? Salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Listen to these verses. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. In that sermon, he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other road. It's him. As I've already quoted John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here's why this is true. All of us have heard how Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Our problem today is this. We are ignorant of how a man who died 2,000 years ago has anything to do with us right now. Oh, but what happened 2,000 years ago? The most important event in human history. You see, 2,000 years ago, God became a man. He left the glories of heaven, the Son of God, born to this earth. See, why would He do that? He did that to save you from the very judgment we're talking about. Now get this, this is incredible. So, God becomes a man. As a man, he lived 30-some years on this earth. Now, understand this. As a man, he is the only man who ever lived, the only one who who lived the perfect life. God's requirement is perfection. Just like he said in James, you go to the the book of James, it says, if you have offended in one point in the law, you're guilty of all. God's requirement is perfection. But none of us are even close to perfect. Yet God loves us. So what he did was, even though he is holy, he is just, he knew there was a way that he could still save us. So he becomes a man. And so God, who's now a man, lives the perfect life. Now get this. As a man, he could stand before the Father in judgment. So if that day came, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stood before the Father in judgment, the Father could declare... You are innocent. You're perfect. Now get this. Of all the billions of people who have ever lived since Adam, he is the only man that that could be said of. He's it. He's the only one that met the requirement. He's the only one that fulfilled the law. He's it. Now this is where it gets really good. Don't miss this. He lived the perfect life for you. In your place. This takes us to the cross. Of what happened. Now remember. The cross was prophesied. We can go back to Genesis chapter 3. As soon as man sinned. God gave us first reference. As to what would take place. um, When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. With the cross. It gets even more specific. in, In verses in the Old Testament. How the Messiah would be pierced. 
Isaiah chapter 53 it gets into great detail of the suffering of the Messiah that he would suffer on our behalf. You say, well, why? It's amazing what took place. God, in his sovereignty, orchestrated all of it, including all of that incredible suffering that would take place on the cross. It was prophesied of the cross before the, per- before the Persians ever invented it. It was something God ordained that must happen if we have, a, if we have the opportunity to be saved from judgment. Here's what happened on the cross. Listen to this verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says this, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and the Father. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The verse might sound complicated, but it's not at all. It establishes the most important truth when it comes to salvation of what happened on the cross. When the Lord Jesus Christ went to that cross, God was allowing a transaction to take place. He placed upon His Son your sin, your filth, all of your wickedness, as if He was the transgressor. And He judged Him in your place. That satisfied justice. His life fulfilled holiness. God placed upon him your sin. It says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. But it goes on. That we might be made, listen, the righteousness of God in him. You see, it's not your righteousness that you need. Yours, as the Bible says, is as filthy rags before God. It's his righteousness. So when I say Christ died for you, follow me. This is a really good illustration of this. What you could do is, is you could put your name up top here right now. All right? And the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 20 at Judgment Day, books are going to be open. One of those books is going to have your name on it. And what's going to be recorded is every single time you broke God's law. It's there. You're not going to say anything, by the way. Nothing. God's just going to show you why you're guilty. Here it is. Your name, your guilt. Now, let's take another piece of paper here. And up top here is the Lord Jesus Christ, his name. Underneath his name would be all of his perfection, all of his righteousness. There's not one single sin here. He lived the perfect life. He met the standard. So we have your name and all of your sin. We have Christ's name and his perfect life. When I tell you that Christ died for you, what I'm saying is this. Follow me. You could take your name and remove it and place it over here. You can take Christ's name, remove it, and place it over here. If that transaction takes place, think about it. If your name is now over here, what's underneath your name? Perfection. It looks as if you have never sinned. It meets God's requirement. Salvation is yours. And if Christ's name is over here, what's underneath his name? All of your filth. All of your sin. Do you know what happened to him? Do you know what he did for you because he loved you? Is he suffered your hell. He suffered 
your penalty. He took your place. But hell did not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. After three days and three nights, he defeated death and rose again from the dead. Salvation lies in what he did. There isn't multiple roads leading to heaven. There's multiple roads leading to hell. But as Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Why? Because of what he did on the cross. He died in your place. Now the question is this, as I close. How do we switch the names? How do you get your name off of this one? That you're going to be judged by. And over here, where Christ's righteousness, God's righteousness, is applied to your life. It's been the same since Genesis chapter 3. It's never changed. Repentance and faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is you recognizing the direction your sin is taking you. Saying, no, this, this is not good. I have sinned. I'm in trouble before a holy and a righteous God. I would be condemned. But you see what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you in faith. And you place your faith in Him. Let me give you a Bible example as I close. Listen. When Christ was crucified on the cross... Two thieves were crucified with him, if you know the story. One had a massive change of heart. They're both, all three men are dying. All three men are hours away from death. One thief here speaks up and he says to the Lord Jesus Christ, If thou be the Christ, get us down from here. Then we'll believe. You know what he wanted saved from? His circumstance. Multitudes come to God, not worried about judgment and eternity. They just want saved from a circumstance. He never acknowledges that man. He never speaks to him. As far as we know, he doesn't even look at him. He does nothing. But the other thief speaks up. Now get this. He tells the other one, he says, you need to be quiet. We deserve to be here. This man hath done nothing wrong. Then he says these words. He says, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. At that moment, the Lord turned to him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Whatever he did just worked. I've mentioned it before from a preacher. I'd heard preaching this out of, out of Cleveland, Ohio. He had talked about what it must have been like when that thief died and went to heaven. And all of a sudden, he's talking with the angels, so, so, um, so what happened? I mean, you're here now. Well, I'm not exactly sure. I know I'm here now. I'm not, well, do you understand the doctrine of justification? No. You don't. Do you understand what it means to be redeemed? And, and No, I, I don't know any of that. Well, how did you get here? I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. And, and so he said, well, let me go get my boss. And so they get the other angels. So, so tell me, how did you get here? We don't get it. And he says, all I know is, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Only thing he did was this, listen to me. He placed his faith 
in the one who could save him. Christ is the only one that could save you. If you have your faith in anything else, you've been misled. Salvation is in Christ alone. It's not Christ plus everything else. The devil's on my... The book of Galatians is written to a, a, a church that was founded on Paul's first missionary journey, a series of churches that were founded right, that had the gospel. By the time the Apostle Paul writes the book of Galatians, you know what they left? The very gospel. They still believe Christ died on the cross for their sins. They still believe he was buried and rose again. You know where the devil came in and deceived them? He added to the gospel. Well, you need Christ, but you also need, and he put on works. The devil's a master at that. It is Christ alone. Has there been a time in your life when you placed your faith in Christ alone? That, that is what will switch those names. When you come to Christ, repenting of whatever else you've been trusting in, seeing the direction your sin has taken you, and you place your faith simply in Christ. It's that easy. Christ has done all the work He died for you. With heads bowed and eyes closed.